see many of you last week at our drive-in service, and we are going to do that again next Sunday at 5.30, weather permitting. And voters' registration will also be available next Sunday 
to register, you need two forms of ID, and one must have your current address. As you all are aware, or if you are unaware, I'm going to tell you right now, this is the most important election of our lifetime to date. So please get registered. Please uh, encourage people to get registered and then go to vote. And uh, we have 72 days until November the 3rd. So please, in the name of Jesus Christ, get registered to vote. Uh, and I also want to encourage you to fill out and send in your census form. The deadline is September 30th, so that's actually before the election. It has been shortened by the current administration in the White House. It is especially important to our community because we stand to lose billions of dollars for 10 years and representation in our federal government. I have a report that says that less than 40% of our community has filled it out. If you have done it, praise God, now you need to reach out into the, your sphere of influence and make sure that they have done it. Now, as we get ready to get prepared to receive what God has placed or God wants to say today, as I was seeking the Lord about what we needed today, he gently whispered, you need to pray. You need to pray, not just a one-time event, but you need to be in a season of prayer. I know that we talk about prayer, and we should have been praying up to this point, but right now is the time that we need to be in a season of prayer. He pointed out that we are not only in a season with a crisis of a pandemic attached to it, but also leading up to this election, there will be a revealing of Satan and the spirit that is behind his power like never before. So we need, as believers, to be in prayer. We need to have a season of prayer. Now, here are several reasons why prayer is important to you as a believer during this season. Prayer keeps God's power and authority unleashed through you against the adversary. Prayer keeps God's power and authority unleashed through you against the adversary because we as believers are in authority in the earth, but we can't rely on our own power. We have to rely on God's power, and prayer keeps God's power and authority unleashed through us as believers against the adversary. Prayer is the real force behind the battle. Prayer is the real force behind the battle. Prayer is a sign of our dependence on God. Prayer is a sign of our dependence on God. It allows Jesus to rule in and in our hearts. Prayer will deliver your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions from a mental battle. Prayer will deliver your soul, 
from a mental battle. Prayer will keep you awake and alert. We have an adversary who, like a roaring lion, goes around seeking whom he may, may devour. Prayer will keep you awake and it will keep you alert. Prayer will keep you from the word quit. Prayer will keep you from the word quit. Why? Praying people don't faint. Praying people don't faint. Prayer is the remedy when you are suffering through affliction. Prayer is the remedy when you are suffering through afflictions. Praying people live in the freshness and the excitement of new things, of new illuminations, new revelations that come from God. Praying people live in freshman, freshness, I'm sorry, and excitement of new things. Prayer keeps your heart in love and mercy. Prayer keeps your heart in love and mercy. I'm almost done. Prayer is like a seed that sows to the spirit so that you can reap a walk in the spirit. Prayer is like a seed that sows into the spirit so that you will reap a walk in the spirit. If you walk in the spirit, the Bible says, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So prayer sows the seed into the spirit so that you can reap a harvest of the spirit. And you need the spirit to walk during this day. Prayer is the greatest ministry of helps. It's the greatest ministry of helps. And finally, prayer must be a priority to every believer because every Christian endeavor is won or lost in the field of prayer. Prayer must be a priority because all you do as a believer is won or lost in the field of prayer. And then finally, prayer changes things. It's become cliche, but the truth of the matter is prayer changes things. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Now if you've been part, well, if you're part of liberty, uh, God has been sharing with us from out of Matthew chapter 6, specifically in verse uh, number 5. That's where we'll start. Now, the context of Matthew is this. This gospel, of course, was written by Matthew, who was a tax collector, which means he was unpopular. He was the tax man. And you know good and well, you do not want the tax man coming knocking at your door. He left everything to follow Jesus. Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus gave it on a hillside hillside near Capernaum. 
It is Jesus' kingdom manifesto. In this sermon, he explained what the kingdom is, how it works, and what it looks like. He explained what the kingdom is, how it works, and what it looks like. This sermon probably covered several days of preaching. In it, Jesus proclaimed his attitude toward the law. Position, authority, and money are not important in his kingdom. What matters is faithful obedience from the heart. The Sermon on the Mount challenged the proud and legalistic religious leaders of the day. It called them back to the messages of the Old Testament prophets who, like Jesus, taught that heartfelt obedience is more important than legalistic observance. God did not call us through Jesus Christ to establish his kingdom here on the earth to argue with people who want to argue points that don't make, make a difference. He called us to win souls to the kingdom, to establish the kingdom of God in the earth today. So don't waste your time arguing with people. You start to praying for people. Amen? I got ahead of myself. Now look, let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. We'll start there. And it says, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites or pretenders, as the pretenders are. For they love to pray standing in synagogues or in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But verse 6 says, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father or your father, another version says, which is in secret or which is in the secret place, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Verse 7 says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do or as the Gentiles do. Remember, he's writing to, to Jews. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Verse 8 says, Be not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask of him. Now, for the last week or so, as I mentioned earlier, God has led me to study out the secret place. I'm just going to touch on it, but I'm going to focus on prayer. The secret place Jesus is talking about here is going to a quiet place, a secret place, a room with the door shut when you pray. He is not talking necessarily about a physical location, but a secret place that is set aside for spending one-on-one -on -one time with God, your Father. It's spending one-on-one -on -one time with God, your Father, not just a drive-by, not just a high-five, but spending quality time with God, your Father. Now, Dr. Tony Evans says, when you get a revelation of Jesus through spending time in his word and prayer, then you will begin to see the Father in his fullness, in his glory, in his demonstration, in his magnificence, and in his beauty. In other words, you need to spend time in the secret place because that's where God is. 
That's where God is. God is in the secret place. The secret place is that set aside intentional time that you spend with God, your father, talking back and forth with him. Kingdom prayer is the divinely authorized methodology to access heavenly authority for earthly intervention. It is divine. It's the divinely authorized methodology. It's the method that we use as believers to access heavenly authority for earthly intervention. Prayer is your direct line with heaven. Prayer is the communication process that allows you to talk to God and it allows God to speak to you. He wants you to communicate with him like a person-to-person -person phone call. He don't want a text. He don't want a Snapchat. He don't want an Instagram. God wants a one-to-one, person-to-person phone call, line-to-line -line with him. God loves and desires to hear the voice of his children. We got cell phones and other devices that have actually become a necessity, especially now, that we have to use today. God wants us to have that same attitude with him by spending time with him as a necessity. You know when you leave the house and you have forgotten your cell phone, it feels like you have forgotten a part of your arm. Well, the same thing is, is, is in relation to spending time with God. Don't get so involved, so in a hurry, get to moving so fast that you don't spend quality time with God. You need to pray, especially now in this day. Why? Because there are some people that you may have looked up to that have got caught up in some things or in the culture and try to make you feel less than who God called you to be. Well, I'm going to tell you this. You are more than a conqueror. You are a believer. You are the righteous seed of a righteous God. You are filled with power and the anointing and the Holy Spirit. Now you need to get in the secret place with God. Begin to pray and connect with your God. Why? We got Bluetooth. We got tablets. We got talking computers. There, these means allow two or more people to interact and respond to one another. Now too many people believe that or have been tricked into believing that prayer is too complicated. Well, let me tell you this about prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God. Prayer is simply talking to God. Now, a kingdom disciple is not above their teacher, but will be like their teacher. Now, what's that, what's that? What am I saying? Jesus, our teacher, is an example of all he teaches about prayer. He is an example. Now, before we go to where we need to go to to see Jesus' example, I got to show you or tell you how important prayer is and was to our teacher. Prayer was more important to Jesus at times than teaching, preaching, or healing. 
Prayer was more important to Jesus at times than teaching, preaching, or healing. Prayer was more important to Jesus at times than working miracles. Prayer was more important to Jesus at times than working miracles. Prayer was more important to Jesus at times than being with people. You know, the Bible tells us throughout, or especially throughout the Gospels, that Jesus withdrew from the crowd so that he could go pray. At times, it was more important than being with people. Prayer was more important to Jesus at times than food. He fasted for 40 days, and he spent time in prayer. Prayer was more important to Jesus at times than sleep. Since prayer was that important to Jesus, it must be important to us. And in this season of prayer, we're going to follow or we're going to look at the example of prayer that Jesus prayed. Let's go to John chapter 17. John for chapter, John chapter 17. We need to pray for one for one another. That's important. James chapter 5 tells us, confess your faults, but pray ye for one another. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, men ought to always pray, not just for ourselves, but for others. Now, at the end of each broadcast, as you noticed, and at the end of most services that we have even in, in live, I repeat the words that my father used to say when he released us from church service. He says, let us not leave with malice in our heart, but let us leave with love for one another. Let us leave not with a prayer for ourselves, but for others. But let me stop you there. It's going gonna, it's gonna to trip you out because I didn't see, I hadn't seen this until, this until I started studying this. Following Jesus' example, praying for one another, first begins with praying for yourself but not about yourself, okay? He prays for himself, but it's not about ourselves. You want to see it? Okay, I'll show it to you. Let's go to John 17, starting with verse number one. It says this, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may Glorify thee or give glory back to you. As thou hast given him power over all flesh or over everyone, that, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee, or another translation says, I brought glory to you here on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Verse number six says, I have manifested or revealed thy name unto the, unto the men which thou gavest me out of this world. Thine they were, 
and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. The petition of Jesus for himself is not selfish since his desire is to glorify the Father. Didn't you hear that? You gave me the glory, but I glorified you, my paraphrase, in the earth. In other words, he didn't turn the focus on himself and what he needed. He turned the focus back to God the Father. To glorify the Father means to give glory to him. The word glory as related to God the Father in the Old Testament bears with it the idea of his greatness and splendor. Now, in the New Testament, the word translated glory means dignity, honor, praise, and worship. And when you put the two together, we find that glorifying God means to acknowledge his greatness and give him honor by praising and worshiping him primarily because he and he alone deserves to be praised, honored, and worshiped. Jesus did not glorify himself. He glorified God the Father, and he did it while he was praying for himself. He didn't give God a top ten list of what he wanted or what he needed. He gave God glory by proclaiming and acknowledging God the Father. To glorify God means to make him known. Jesus would soon be manifested as the Savior of the world through his atoning death. Believers in him will, will know or come to know and possess eternal life. So I'll say this. When Jesus prayed for himself, it was not about him. It was about what God had sent him to do, which in turn glorified the Father. So Jesus prayed for himself, but not about himself. Jesus then prays for his disciples. All right? Look at verse number seven. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. Did you see that? I have given them what you gave me. Jesus didn't talk on his own accord or his own words. He talked what the, he spoke what the God the Father had given him. Amen. Verse number nine says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, you check that out, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine. Jesus did not pray for the world. You get that? He praying, he's praying for his disciples who are believers who became disciples. Amen. He is not praying for the world. Mm. And all Mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12 says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, talking about Judas, of course. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14 says, I have given them thy word. There he goes again. And the world has hated them. Don't, like, don't expect the world to like you because you are connected to God and because you speak and because you live and because you walk in the spirit, they don't understand it. Amen. And the world hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We are in it, but we are not of it. Mm. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. You hear that? You, I'm going to slow down. I want you to get that scripture. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou, thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Or another translation says the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I, have I also sent them. Where? Into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, or be an example, hmm, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now, as I alluded to in a couple of scriptures before, Jesus did not ask God the Father to take his disciples or believers out of this world, but instead to use us in the world. I just want to sit that there. Jesus didn't pray for us to be taken out of this world, but to be used in this world. Mm. Because he sends you into the world to establish his kingdom, you should not try to escape from the world and try to avoid, and try to avoid all relationships with non-believers. Now, there are some you can't be in a relationship with. Now, don't get it wrong. However, he does not want us to just be talking about, I wish you would hurry up and come back and take us out of the world. No, Jesus is praying, you keep them in the world because I'm sending them out into the world. Why? So that we could win the world so that they will become believers who become disciples. Hmm. And then sometimes God the Father sends angels that you are unaware of. You have to be careful in dismissing whom God sends to you or allows to come to you. Every time some God sends somebody does not mean they aren't supposed to be coming to you. This is a means of you being, being, uh, being, being used by God an opportunity. Amen? He prays for his disciples, and if you are a believer, that means that you that you will be, as he, let me put it this way. He prays for his disciples to go into the world. So as he sends us into the world, we are to be his pacemakers. So your heart will be moved by the things that move the heart of God. When he sends us out into the world and he's praying for us, we are supposed to be his contact lenses. So 
you can see people in situations the way he sees people. We are supposed to be his hearing aid. So your ears will be able to clearly hear his voice and the voice is crying, sighing, and dying. We are to be God's. We are, we are to serve God's purpose in the world. Jesus didn't call you or reveal himself to you so that you could become a believer to be idle in the world. He called you so that you could be his pacemaker, so that you could be his contact lenses, so that you could be his earring, earring aid here on the earth. You need to pray. Jesus not only prayed for himself, he, and not only his disciples, but he prayed for future believers. And thank God he did, because that included me and you, because we weren't alive at that time, right? Amen. Look at verse number 22. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Verse 22 says, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, mm. that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect or mature in one, and that, thou, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me has loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Verse 25 says, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And finally, verse number 26 says, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. In his final petition, Jesus prays for the unity of all believers of subsequent generations. The oneness he requests is not an organizational unity, but a spiritual unity, which will be visibly manifested in the life of the church and will bear witness to the divine mission of Jesus Christ. Now, could it be that God allowed the church to be moved out of the building as an answer to Jesus' prayer because the church became the one thing Jesus did not want, which is an institution that has separated itself from the mission and each other. Hmm. Could it be? That's why it's important to pray, to get in communication with God and don't be in such a rush to get back to doing what you were doing before the pandemic, because could it be that God is answering Jesus' prayer so that he can get our attention so that we can become one in the spirit? Not one organization, but one in the spirit. Psalm 133 and 1 New King James says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell 
together in unity. Brethren means brother, especially an immediate relative, but also a fellow man. True spiritual unity flows from the presence of the Holy Spirit's presence in the lives of God's people. In other words, we are as believers supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us so that we can be one in the unity in the Spirit. Amen? It flows from the presence of the Holy Spirit and into our lives. And so, you need to pray for one another. As Jesus prayed, he prayed for one another, but he started his prayer off praying for himself, but acknowledging God. Then praying for his disciples, and then praying for those who would come along later. And you need to pray in faith. Pray in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 11. You probably can quote it. That's one of our favorite scriptures or one of my favorite scriptures. And it says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and it's the evidence of things not seen. And verse number 6 says this. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The beginning point of faith is believing in God's character. He is who he says he is. The end point is believing in God's promises. He will do what he says he will do. When you believe that God will fulfill his promises, even though you don't see those promises materializing yet, you are demonstrating true faith. Now let's go just a little bit deeper. Believing that God exists is only the beginning. How do you know that? Even demons believe that he exists. God will not settle for mere acknowledgement, though he takes it. He won't settle for the mere acknowledgement of existence. He wants your faith that leads to a personal, dynamic relationship. He wants you to have a personal dynamic relationship with him and prayer produces intimacy. What, what do you mean? You become more intimate with the one you are praying to. You become more intimate with the ones you are praying for. You become more intimate with the ones you are you pray you are praying with in other words this is saying you get intimate with god then you become intimate with the persons that you are praying for even though you may not be around them how's that you develop a relationship so close that when they come across your heart you will pray for them and you don't even know why and you may see them and you'll say you say, well, I pray for you. And you'll say, you may even say whatever day. And they say, thank you, I needed that. Why? Because you have an intimate relationship with God who will direct you to pray for the people that you need to pray for. Amen? Then finally, you not only need to pray in faith, you need to pray with worship and reverence. You need to pray with worship 
and reverence. Last scripture we're going to today is Psalm 99. Psalm 99. I love that scripture that uh, Lady Larice read. Talking about crying out to God. How do you do that? Through prayer. Lead me to the rock that I, when my heart is overwhelmed. How do you do that? Through the vehicle of prayer. Psalm 99 verse 5 says this. Exalt ye the Lord our God. The Lord our God means Adonai Yahweh. Adonai Jehovah. And worship at his footstool which means bow low before his feet, for he is holy. God's holiness is terribly frightening for sinners, but a wonderful comfort for believers. God is morally perfect and is set apart from people and sin. He has no weaknesses or shortcomings. For sinners, this is frightening because all of their inadequacies and evil are exposed by the light of God's holiness. Now, God cannot tolerate, ignore, or excuse sin. However, he will forgive you of your sins. Praise God. He won't tolerate it, he won't ignore it, or he won't excuse it. However, you can be forgiven for your sin. How do you know that? John 1, 1, 9, 1 John 1, 9 says this. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you for, from all your unrighteousness. For believers, God's holiness gives comfort because as you worship him, you are lifted out of the mire of sin. If you are really worshiping God, you cannot stay in the place where you began. He will lift you up out of that mess. That's why it's important when you get overwhelmed to go to the rock that's higher than you. How? Through prayer. And as you pray and you worship him with reverence, then you will be lifted up out of the mire of sin and you are going to the rock that's higher than yourself. And as you believe him and humble yourself before him, you are made holy. God is vitally concerned that you pray. Why? You are made better by prayer, and the world is made better by you praying. God does his best work for the world through prayer. God's greatest glory and man's highest good are secured by prayer. Prayer forms the godliest of people and makes the godliest of worlds. And makes the godliest worlds through the godliest of people. How? Through your connection with him. Now in this season, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray in faith. We need to pray with worship and reverence. But the bottom line to everything that I have just said is this. You need to pray. You need to pray. 
Satan is going to try to do all he can to get you to come out of yourself. He's going to do all he can to get you to try to operate out of your soul and not in the spirit. Prayer is your connection to God that will allow you to operate in the spirit. You need to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this word on today. I pray, God, that we would all apply it to our lives to make it to make it an intentional point to spend quality time with you in the secret place. Because in the secret place, you reveal mysteries. You, you tell us where to go, what direction to go, what not to do, and what to do. Who to pray for, who not to pray for, God. Amen. Who to hang out with and who not to hang out with. That is where we get our direction through our connection with you, Father. And I give you praise and I give you glory and I give you honor for this word as we enter into the season of prayer. We need it more than now, more than ever. Too many voices, too many things. Allow us to see only you in this season, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you praise and we give you Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you'd like to sow into our ministry, please follow the link to do it electronically, or you can mail it to 2828 West Flint Street, right here in Peoria, 61604. Remember, our drive-in service is next Sunday evening at 5.30, weather permitting. With that said, let us not leave with malice in our hearts. But let us leave with love for one another. Let us leave with a prayer on our lips, not for ourselves, but for others. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field. You are blessed going out, and you are blessed coming in. You are blessed. The enemy comes in one way, but he has to flee seven ways because you are blessed. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are the lender and not the borrower. You are blessed. So I speak life to you. I speak life to your family. I speak life to your health. I speak life to your finances. I speak life and I plead the blood of Jesus over you as you go throughout this week. Be salt and light in this world beginning this week. In Jesus' name, be blessed. Larissa and I love you so very much. And we look forward to being with you again. Praise God.